How's everybody doing? Oh, good. I remembered to turn my mic on. Uh, excuse me for a second while I rudely drink water in front of you. Now I could do a commercial, but I'm not going to. Uh, so I understand that I've been coming, and I'm glad to see all of you guys. We have kind of combined the traditional and contemporary for this, and so my understanding is that means I can preach twice as long just to make that work, right? Uh, so today we are starting or part, go in part of a new series called To Know God, uh, and when Pastor Tim talked to me about this several weeks ago and, and asked me to preach, like, you know, I began praying about what it meant to me to know God, because that's something that we all need to know. It's one of the most vital truths of Christianity. And to me, that comes down to love. It comes down to God's love, and it comes down to our love. And so I really wanted to emphasize that, and so I prayed, and he, he led me to a scripture that I'm, I'm going to read with you. But it's about knowing God. And it's about not only how we know God, but how we can help others to know God. And so I'm going to be in 1 John 3, 11 through 24, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and start reading. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. This is the basic Christian message, to love one another, to, to love God. And that's something that has not changed since the beginning, and it will not change. That's, that's who we are. That's who we are supposed to be. That's how we know each other. It's how we relate to each other. It's how we relate to God. As soon as we get into church, and, and my great-grandparents had me in church from like age two on, and as soon as we get into there and we begin that relationship, we begin that life, uh, we're taught that the relationship with Jesus is the most important thing, and that's absolutely true. And we're taught to love God above all else and to put him first and just work on that relationship. And all of that is vital and true. But sometimes we stop there. We're like, well, I'm working on my relationship with Jesus. I don't really care about those people. Or I'm working on loving God. I don't really care about those people. But you see, God obviously wants us to be close to him. But he also wants us to love one another. He also wants us to care about each other. He also wants us to be kind to each other. Because it enables them to see how he changes people. It enables them to see how he changes us, how he helps us to feel that love, how he helps us to grow, how he helps us to be different, how he helps us to be an example. That's how others come to know God, by us knowing him more and then showing that. And I love this first part where it talks about Cain and Abel. And that's one of my favorite stories. It's short, but, but I love to do the what if thing, and I've recently done that in a series, and I'll talk about that a little later. But... The thing with Cain, there are several people in the Bible, and most of the time when we've read stories or heard stories over and over again, we kind of, in our heads, turn those people into just characters. We forget that they're real people, and we're like, well, this is what happens, and so this is what I've learned from this, this is what's important here, this is what matters, and we kind of stop there. But you see, the thing with Cain that we often don't talk about, that we often don't think about, is that he had the exact same upbringing as Abel. They were raised by the same parents. They had the same knowledge of God. They had the same knowledge of each other. They had the same knowledge of what was right. They were right at the literal beginning of everything, of having a relationship with God. And so what was Cain's problem? It wasn't just murder. Murder, he didn't just wake up and murder Abel. He allowed anger and jealousy to fill his heart. And then from there, that built up and it built up. And, and, and he just stared at Abel. And you can imagine in the days coming up to what he did, 
he just like would stare at him as Abel would do this, as Abel would pray, and it'd be like Abel, 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 like the Brady Bunch. Like he'd be like Abel, 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 Jan, Marsha, 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 anybody? Okay. Good. You got to love it when you make a reference and nobody makes a noise. That's wonderful. By the way, there are people here, so that's cool. Uh, so he would just stare at him and think about him. But his problem was that he refused to recognize that hatred. When God talked to him about it, and probably when his parents or, or any Abel talked to him about it, he would be like, I don't have hatred. I don't hate them. I just disagree with them. I just don't like them. I just don't like what they think. I just don't like what political party they vote for. I just don't like who they are online. I just don't like what they've said to me. I just don't like what they've done. I don't hate them. And he kept saying, I don't hate them, right, the way, right up until he murdered Abel. You see, because it's very easy to say, I don't hate, or to say, I'm supposed to love, to say that there's no hatred in me, but then your words, our words, and our actions often betray that. Just like Cain, right up until he murdered Abel, he was able to deny that he had hatred in his heart. He denied it straight to God. And that's such an important lesson for us because we live in a world where we do that. And then from there, uh, John talks about, you know, don't be shocked if the world hates you. And that comes straight from what Jesus said. He said, uh, if they hate me, they're definitely going to hate you. So, so just remember that. This isn't a popularity contest. This is about truth. And, and that is something good. It's armor. I remember several weeks ago, Julie talked about the armor of God. And that's armor that we have. Like, okay, the world hated Jesus. So it's okay that they hate me, but I still have to do what's right. And I still have to walk forward. Again, the problem is we sometimes turn that from knowledge to pushing it. We angrily want to make other people hate us so that we can feel like we're doing it right. You see, people will naturally be upset if you are living truthfully, if you are living right, if you are living contrary to the world, because that shines a spotlight on people that aren't, and they don't like that, because there's always two choices when you see someone who is doing something better than you. Uh, you can gripe and complain and just try to tear them down, which is what most people do, or you can be like, wow, I've really got to change, I've really got to do better. And, and so we should be living like that, but sometimes we're like, ah, you know what, that person that's posting, that person that's talking, they're a little too happy. I need to make them hate me so that they can really see who I am, that they can really see that I'm right, so that I can really argue my way, so I can really push what I think, but more than that, really shatter what they think, because that's, that's what I'm supposed to do. No, it's not. Because to know God is to know love. To know God is to be truthful all of the time, but it's to do it lovingly, to do it kindly, to do it with hope, to remember that, yes, the world hates you, but God loves you. And more than that, God's love is in us, and God's love shines through us, and God's love works through us, and that's what we're supposed to do. It's not about fixing or even changing other people because we can't do that. All we can do is show what the change does, show what it means to let Jesus fix your lives. Uh, we are in a political season, obviously. I hope that's not a surprise to anybody. But anytime you turn on your television or get on social media, you will see political commercials. And all of the political, com com political commercials, it's tough to say, I should have drank more water. All of the political commercials are basically the same. You can insert somebody's name here and somebody's name here for, for a president, for Congress, for Senate, for local offices, whatever. They're never, this is what I can do for you. This is what I stand for. It's, don't vote for this person. 
they're awful, they're evil, they're mean, and all of them do it. And that is not what Christianity is. It's not shattering other people, it's not shaming other people, it's not saying, this is why your view, why your opinion, why your thoughts are so stupid. It's saying, hey, this is who I stand for, this is what I stand for, this is who I am, this is love. And not fixing, not, not yelling, not shaming, that doesn't mean don't witness. It means witness like Jesus did. It means witness like John did. It means witness like we're called to by loving one another, by being better, by being stronger. Going to the next verse, verse 14. We love our brothers and sisters who are believers. It proves that we, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Uh, this goes back again to something Jesus said, which rightfully John based his uh, works on, on Jesus directly, and he knew him, he was close to him, he was a brother to him in many ways. But Jesus said very clearly, hey, hatred is murder. Now, we know that literally that's not true. But why would he say that? Why would John repeat it? Because in your heart, it's the same thing. In your heart, when you cut someone off as worthless, when you cut someone off as not worth your time, when you cut someone off as evil, as contemptible, as con condemnable, when you hate them, you're doing the same thing as if you murder them. In your heart, it's decided. And that's what John is saying. And that's what's so scary about things. It's such a huge statement. The other huge statement in this is tied to that, that Jesus gave up his life for us. And Jesus gave up his life as a sacrifice because it was God's plan, because he wanted us to have a chance at heaven. He wanted us to see salvation. He wanted us to be better. He wanted us to, to live for him, to feel that, to not have to die. But it happened because of our hatred, because of the world's hatred, because of the existence of hatred. The Pharisees hated him so much the Romans hated him, the people hated him, everybody hated him so much that they killed him. Now again, it was his plan. It was his plan. But because of that hatred, his love shined so much stronger. Because it was in such contrast, it was so different. And then because of that, that's how we pass from death to life. Because before we're Christians, we're dead. Simply put, we don't understand what is right. We don't understand what is coming. We don't understand how to be better. We don't understand even who we are. And then once we know God, once we learn who he is, once we learn that relationship, once we build it, we're truly alive. That's the point of baptism, and it's what's shown in Jesus' uh, crucifixion and resurrection. It's what's talked about over and over again, from death to life. And the cool thing, the amazing thing, the wonderful, miraculous thing, is he loves us already. He loves us before we're Christians. He loves us before we're born. He loves us before our parents are born. He loves us forever. All we have to do is accept it and then allow that to change us, allow that to help us grow, allow that to help us be different, allow us to, to change. And once we accept that, we're truly alive. And it's exciting. Uh, think back to the first time you became a Christian, and, and it's just so exciting, and you're, it's like scales fall off your eyes like Paul, and you're like, oh my gosh, i got to tell everybody about this. And then over time, it kind of tampers down. You're still happy to be a Christian, but it's like, well, business as usual, and oh, they're not listening to me. Oh, they say no all the time. Oh, they think this, they think that. 
and we allow it to jade us. And yet, when you stop and think about it, the fact that he loved us without us deserving it even a little bit is amazing. But it also teaches us how to live because that's agape love. And I've spoken about this before. A lot of people have spoken about this before. I didn't invent it, although I was there when the Greeks talked about it. Because I'm old, get it? Okay, so agape means unconditional love. It means unconditional love, but more than that, it means unchanging love. And that's how God loves us. He loves us unconditionally, unchanging. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter who you are, he always loves you. Now, you can turn away from that, but he will never turn away from you. He will always accept you if you come back and you ask for forgiveness. And that's how, and this is the hard part, we are supposed to love other people. But how can I do that? How can I love somebody else with unconditional love? How can I love someone else without changing if they don't love me, if they act awful, if they do awful, if they're not even a Christian? Well, going to the what if. My favorite thing is talking about what ifs, about alternate futures, alternate realities, things like that. What if? What if Jesus had looked at it that way? What if he had looked at the world today, at 2020? What if he had looked at the world then? What if he had looked at the world at any point and said, yeah, I'm going to die for them. I'm going to sacrifice my life for them. I'm going to give them a way to heaven, but I'm going to wait until they get it. I'm going to wait until they agree with me. I'm going to wait until they live better. I'm going to wait until they act better. I'm going to wait until they're kinder. What if Jesus had done that? None of us would be here in several different ways. And yet that's not what he did. He did the opposite. He said, man, they don't deserve it. But I'm going to give them this light to shoot for. I'm going to give them this changing influence. I'm going to give them this example of how to live and to lay aside your life. It doesn't mean that you walk out and you just immediately die for everybody that you see. In the context, it means to lay aside your life, like you lay aside clothes or like you lay aside something else, which means you put your I'm number one attitude away be like, okay, Jesus first, then others, then me. And you live for that, and you look to Jesus' example, and you look to how he, how he lived. And love is confusing. It's hard for me to say. It's hard for me to feel. Uh, it, it, it's a difficult thing, and that doesn't mean that after this service, everybody comes up and say, I love you, Jeff. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, I'm not going to stop you from doing that, but it's, still, it's hard. And it means so many different things, and it's used in so many different ways. People say, I love Big Macs. People say, I love Whoppers. People say I love things that probably aren't food, if there's anything like that out there. And we say I love you, and I love this show, and I love this thing, and I love blah, blah, blah. And so it gets confusing. And then more than that, it's hard to show sometimes because people see it and feel it in different ways. Uh, I, I think back, has anybody ever heard of the show King of Queens? It's an older sitcom with Kevin James, and I remember this one episode above all of the others, and in it, uh, something happened, and, and the wife found out that... that Kevin had done something just because somebody told him to uh, back when they were dating, and it was throwing off everything, and she's like, you don't really love me, you're not really showing it, and so now, from then on, like, since she brought that up, it was impossible for him to do anything because she would always say, well, it's because I brought it up, and, and you know, that's, we've been in situations like that, and finally, like, at the end, because it's a sitcom and it has to be wrapped up in 22 minutes, at the end... Uh, he points out that she has Chinese food in her teeth and, and he just does it and, and it's sweet for some reason and it's cool. And so obviously the lesson from that is if you love someone, you point out that they have food in their teeth. No. 
we just keep loving them. We just keep loving them, even if they push us away. We just keep loving them. And sometimes, and this is what I tell people, especially new Christians, and I've had people, adults, teens, everyone in between, come up to me and say, how can I love this person? Sometimes the answer is just not hate them. Sometimes the answer is just not be hateful. Just don't push them away. Just don't hate them. And sometimes you do have to cut people out of their lives. But again, how can I love someone who is so different, who thinks so differently, who has the opposite opinion of me on everything, who, who, who just is doing the wrong thing over and over again? How can I lay my life aside for such a person and I go back again? Jesus did. Jesus did and showed us the way and loved us and helped us to be better. Going to verse 18. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show first that we belong to the truth so we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey and do the things that please him. One of the very difficult things about Christianity is that it's remarkably easy to say we should love one another. It's remarkably easy to say I need to work more on this, I need to work more on that. It's even easy to say I'm a Christian. It's easy to say, I go to church. It's easy to go to church. Maybe not right now, but throughout history, it's mostly easy to go to church. And yet, to actually live it is so hard because it's almost like it's an uphill battle because we are supposed to be like these shining light examples, this salt that stands out, this loving influence, this kind, honest, truthful, gentle influence, and then the world is like, yeah, we're not doing that. It's like when I was growing up and going to school and I would have to walk barefoot in the snow uphill both ways. That's kind of what being a Christian is like. And yet, when we live it, when we are truly living it, when we are in the heart of it, when we are feeling it, when we are showing it, when we are doing like Jesus did, man, does it feel different. It's no secret that this year has stunk in lots of different ways. I know the Bengals just won, but other than that, it's stunk. And yet, we're still here. There have been bad years before, there have been bad times before, and yet we're still here, we keep going forward, we keep loving because that's what Jesus has called us to do and that's what it means to know him. To truly know God means accepting his agape love. It means accepting that what you think of yourself, what other people think of yourselves, of each other. Eh, I'm an English major, I can use grammar however I want. Does not matter. What matters is that God unconditionally loves you forever and ever. And once you accept that, you start to learn about him, you know about him, you read his word, you go to church, you pray, you talk to other Christians, and you grow in that faith, and you know him more and more. And once you accept that love, once you accept that agape, that means understanding that you're supposed to do that same thing to other people. Even when those other people don't do it back to you, even when those other people hate you. 
One of the most awkward things in the world, for me at least, is when like I'm walking through the hall or through the church, and like I look over and let's say I see Julie, and like she waves and smiles, and I like wave and smile, and then I realize she's doing it to somebody behind me. And it's like really embarrassing for me. Now, for her and the other person, they don't even care, and we know that. And this wasn't a specific example. I'm not using this to point out anything. But that's awkward. Or when you go for a handshake or a high five, not right now, again. Wash your hands, stay away, blah, blah, blah. And they don't do it back or they turn away. It's really embarrassing. Sometimes that's what love is. You love someone with everything that you have. You pour your life out to them and they turn away. And it's like, this isn't fair, this isn't right. And man, I'm going to go to it one more time. In those moments, you could argue that we truly know God more than anything else because that's what people do to him every day. It's what people have done to him since the beginning. He loves them, pours love out, pours his life out, literally sacrifices. And then they turn away. And he doesn't say, well, I'm taking my ball and going home, I'm done. He says... I hope they get it right. And he shows us to do the same. He calls us to do the same. And it talks about being guilty and how being guilty is okay. That basically means being convicted. Not of a crime. Although, I guess technically sometimes. Being convicted means that you understand that what you've done or what you've said is wrong. And you feel that guilt and you want to change it. It's good. In fact, if you do something wrong and you don't feel that, yeah, you've got a problem. And yet we live in a world where it's like, Yeah, no, you do you. Say whatever you want, whatever's on your mind, whatever comes to mind, whatever you feel like saying, and who cares if people take offense? One of the things I see over and over again is Christians and and, and a lot of people uh, who go to church saying, oh, the world is too easily offended nowadays. It's true in a lot of ways. But what that's really saying is, I should be able to insult people however I want, and they shouldn't take offense. Because I said no offense. Have you ever had somebody do that? They come up to you and they're like, yeah, you know, no offense. But that's the ugliest haircut I've ever seen in my life. Or no offense, but when you fell out of the ugly tree, you must have hit every branch. And it's like, okay, well, you said no offense, so I clearly can't take offense to that. But we live like that sometimes, and that's not showing love. This has been a discouraging year for a lot of people. It's been an especially discouraging year for me. And I've stopped looking at social media for the most part because that's a big part of it. Because I see Christians around the world do the following. Well, this candidate or this person or this news station or this party is so hypocritical and I'm going to point it out and I'm going to condemn them. That's okay in itself, but then you see on the very next post... Well, I like this person. I like this news station. I like this party, so I'm going to defend them. And then you're like, well, other parties do it. Both parties do it. Both parties are hypocritical, and both parties point this out. All political people, all people point out the hypocrisy and then do it themselves. We all know that. We understand that. But if you are a Christian, and your defense is everybody else does it, do you really know God? God would never say that. That's the opposite of how Christians live. You see, if you 
get in the habit, you get caught up in the world, you get caught up in the political system of, I'm going to condemn everyone that I disagree with. Every politician, I'm going to post about it. Every movement, every station, every party, I'm going to condemn them. But then I'm going to defend the same things in the people I like. And you can look at people's posts and just see that that happens over and over and over again. You can listen to people's conversations and see that hap- that happens over and over and over again. How are you showing Jesus to the world? Because what people see is, wow, the church is just as political as everything else. The church is being just like the political parties. The church is a political party. Now, we know that's not true. But we see that sometimes. And I get that it's a contentious election. I get that it's a hard time. I get that it's difficult. I get that it's important. But because the election, because the cycle, because the world, everything is so important, it's so much more important that we are different. That we don't identify as a political party, that we don't identify as whatever, that we identify as Christian. that we love him first and we show that every day in our posts, in our language, in our conversations, in the way we treat each other because actions matter. Actions are how you show love. And it's hard because you're going to get hit in the face because it's an uphill battle because it, it, it just hurts. And you're going to be like, well, they do this and they do that. Who cares? Going back to what if one more time. What if Jesus had said, man, the Pharisees, they really have all the power and they're acting like this. I should do this. What if he had ran into a synagogue and, and, and like yelled out bad questions to them? What if he'd done the same thing to them that they were doing to him? Because they literally followed him around to each message and had people in the crowd just making fun of him and yelling at him and saying bad things about him and asking him questions to try to trap him. What if he had done that? Well, that's a hard what if because he would never do that. Because he looked at them, and he, man, he disliked their message and the way they did things, but he looked at them with love. And when Nicodemus would come to him, he would listen to him. He didn't say, ah, you're a Pharisee, you're never going to get it. When you stop being a Pharisee, you can come to me. He said, Nicodemus, this is what it means to be born again. I don't care what party you are, I don't care who you vote for, what I care is who you serve. We do not serve a politician. We do not serve a party. We do not even serve a country. Now, that doesn't mean you don't care about those things. It means that we serve God first. And we know him in that. And by knowing him, we show that. And by showing that, we help other people to know him. We show who we are and who they are. Last part of scripture, and then I'll be done because I've lost track of the time thing here. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. To believe in his name is to know him. To say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, please help me, is to know him. And then you enter that relationship. But that's just the beginning. And he goes and to love one another. Not, well, you know, sometimes when you feel like it, when everything's going okay, when there's no pandemic, when people are happy, then you can love one another. No, no, no. And love one another all the time, and that's a commandment. Here is the secret, a secret. Humanity is never going to deserve that love. Never, not once. 
never going to deserve that love, and yet it never has, and God loves it, and so we must show that. In my life, I've preached a message like this, not specifically, but loving one another a lot of times, and it's sometimes discouraging because a lot of times people will say, oh, you know, I agree with you, and that's good. But then I will see posts, and I will see conversations, and I will see that it doesn't change, and I feel, man, what am I doing? Should I give up because I'm not having an effect? And I would imagine every pastor feels like that. But Jesus talked to his disciples, lived with his disciples, loved his disciples, and not all of them changed. Very few people have been shamed or argued into being a Christian. But being loved is so much more. So look to Jesus. Look to how he lived, how he sacrificed, who he is. Show him every day. That's how you know God and how you make him known. Love God. I want to go to my title. Oh, there it is. My title slide real quick. To know him is to love him. I made that up. It's not from a song or anything. We live our lives like that, absolutely. And then we just kind of spray on the, and everyone else too. Let's make that bold also. Let's stop saying 2020 stinks, I'll be better next year, and say, you know what? I'm going to stop right now, and I'm going to be different, and I'm going to be better, and I'm going to love everyone the same way God loves me. And that is how we can make a difference. That's all I got.